Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. This is the Unplayable Podcast. On today's episode, we break down Australia's limited overs tour of the UK, including that epic win in the third ODI, and look ahead to the Indian Premier League. Sam Ferris here, and on the call to have a chat is my dear cricket.com.au colleague, Lewis Cameron. G'day, Lou. G'day, Sam. I've been waiting by the phone, uh, waiting for my next appearance on the Unplayable podcast, and you finally called, so thank you. Your prayers have been answered. In fact, you're going to be a bit of a regular this summer, aren't you? Yeah, sure. Um, is that you selecting me for the entire summer? I mean, normally you need to, to prove yourself in, you know, in the podcast kind of uh, format in the game, so to speak. Um, but you're just giving me a clean slate. So, yeah, can't wait for it. Two things, horses for courses, and I need to prepare my understudy when I'm eventually going to be picked for higher honours. So you can step into my shoes when I'm out. What's the higher honours of the podcast? What's like the gold the gold standard that you want to get to? I don't know. I think some some kind of call up from Bill Simmons or something like that. But yeah. uh, when that bridge comes, we'll cross it. But uh, there's lots to talk about today. And when it gets stuck in, to the ODI series over there in the UK, Australia prevailing 2-1 off the back of that epic three-wicket win in Manchester on Wednesday. Australia looked absolutely shot at 5 for 73, chasing 303 until Glenn Maxwell and Alex Carey put on 212, a record-breaking partnership to steer Australia to the brink of victory. They both made hundreds. And the mid-stark, as cool as you like, comes out and hits a six from the first ball he faces and then a boundary a little bit later on to ice the game and give Australia a 2-1 series win. Lou, just how impressive was that comeback, having seen Australia really stuff up that chase in the second game? They should have won the series the match before, but they've come back and won. Yeah, I mean, waking up this morning to it, I stayed up uh, till about 1am last night watching England's first innings and um, then putting on 302 from, and they themselves came back from, I mean, it's just been an amazing series. And it's probably one of the better Australia, England, one day bilateral series, um, you know, just kind of flown under the radar a little bit just because of the time of the year back, back here in Australia and um, the time of night these games have been playing in, but so many like ups and downs and comebacks. I mean, England were, were two for none after yeah. the first two balls of the game. Like, and for them to make, um, 302 from there like they're, they're one day team and their batting in particular is just incredible um, and then yeah for the Aussies to, to kind of be I mean to be we were, we were talking about this morning about um, the, the the Kerry Manus run out which probably would have got a bit more scrutiny if, if the Aussies had lost and um, you know who was to blame there but um, it didn't matter in the end because Kerry and Maxwell just, just batted so well it was very, very impressive. And Glenn Maxwell had been five years or 2,020 days, 2020 days since his first 100. A little stat that I dug up and got a little bit of love on Twitter. I don't think you've liked yeah. that, Lou, but uh, I'll wait for that. Uh, 
what a fantastic performance by him. They both had luck, Kerry and Maxwell, but they rode it. And that's the kind of performance that Australian fans and I'm sure the selectors have been crying out for from Glenn Maxwell. It was composed. It was savage at times. He was at finisher batting at number seven. He's been all over the batting order. I think he's batted from three to seven. And I'm sure he's even open for Australian T20 cricket. So he's fairly adaptable in that regard. But batting at number seven, it's amazing a player of his quality bat so low but that's what his job is is to come in and finish off the innings he did it in the first one day when Australia were batting first got a quick fire 70 odd and then he's done it here with 100 is that his spot can we see him going up the order we I asked him after the game I said is do you want to bat any higher he said no as long as I can keep batting with Alex Carey I'm happy to stay at seven but surely a player like Glenn Maxwell goes up the order or perhaps that's his spot he's going to stay down that low and, and finish off the innings yeah, and there have probably been times in his career where he, he'd admit where he probably wanted to bat higher than, than what he was doing, but it seems like he, he's perhaps more content with with just taking on what, what gets given to him now. It's funny, like, he, he started at seven when he first came into um, the Aussie team, and I think even when he first kind of came into the Victorian team, he was he was batting at eight, you know, bowling some off-spin and um, offering some, some lower-order hitting. But, yeah, look, I think I think for him, it's, it probably doesn't matter so much the position. I think it's more about... The situation of the game that he's kind of yeah. coming in, and I mean, he's he's there at seven um, when he's been coming in with Australia in trouble during this series. But I think when the top order is firing a bit like they were during the World Cup, you know, Australia's top order Warner and Finch and and Smith to an extent were often you know batting the majority of the, the first thirty or forty overs. You know, if, when that happens again, and it will, um, that's when you you probably put Kerry up above. That's sorry. That's when you put Maxwell up above Kerry yeah. and, and potentially Mitch Marsh and, and get him in for those those closing overs. He averages forty eight at number seven and strikes at one twenty one, and he was actually the fastest player to three thousand runs in terms of balls face. So when he gets his runs, he gets them pretty quickly. I always think Maxi is a great T twenty player, one of the best T twenty players in the world. And if he has got twenty overs to bat in a one day game, it's just so simple for him. He came in on the eighteenth over, I think, the other night, uh, but. If he's got 20 overs to work with, he can do so much with 20 overs. Let him go that. Maybe when he, when he comes in with 40 overs to go, when he's up the order, he gets a little bit lost. Do I pace myself? Do I go slow? When to go hard? It was good. The pressure was off in some respect. At 5 for 70, Australia was supposed to lose that game. But he came out there and played a fantastic innings. He didn't do it by himself, Lou, because Alex Carey was down there. And he got a bit of pressure put on him before the series by Adam Gilchrist. Uh, there's probably no better judge of wicketkeeper batters in any form of cricket than Adam Gilchrist. And he talked up the likes of Josh Philippi, who was in the squad over there, probably just on a fact-finding mission. Didn't expect him to get a game. But, geez, what a performance under pressure. He had some luck as well, caught off a no ball. But in terms of finishes, I think they've got something of a good formula there with Carey and Maxwell. Yeah, I think they balance each other out pretty well. You know, the left hand, right hand kind of thing. And, and also just not being, probably not being the explosive player Maxwell is, but, you know, maybe, um, you know, can just nudge the strike over a bit more. And, and those two combined perfectly um, last night. It was interesting reading um, what, what Adam Gilchrist had to say. Maybe a little bit, um, a little bit harsh on Kerry, just considering, you know, what a good World Cup he had last year. And yeah. that was a, a massive breakout tournament for him. Um, when Australia's middle order, you know, they, Maxwell really struggled during that World Cup. Stoinis had a had a poor World Cup with the bat, um, and, and Carey, you know, was kind of coming in in really tough situations uh, and did really well. So I, I think we, sh- you know, our memory shouldn't be too short on 
what he's done in the 50 over game. Um, but yeah, I mean, he got dropped for that final T20 as well when, when they brought Matthew Wade in. So um, all sorts of kind of questions over, over his spot. Um, but yes, under so much pressure and, and what a knock. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, he's just played so well through the offside. He's great through anywhere from backward point through to cover. I just don't see many players hit with so much authority, especially through the air on the offside as Kerry does. Yeah, it's beautiful to watch, isn't it? I was having a look at his wagon wheel this morning um, and he hit just eight runs between mid-on and mid-off. And, you know, that probably says a little bit about where England were bowling to him. I know there was a, a short boundary they were trying to protect, but, yeah, it, it's that kind of classic, um, you know, square the wicket, nuggety type player. Um, and in terms of Felipe as well, who, who Gilchrist was, was talking up and, um, it sounds like you know that he's got really big wraps on him, and, and the Aussie guys are, are really impressed by him. Like I reckon there's there's absolutely room for the two of them in the team. Um, it's not like it's not one or the other kind of thing. And, and Felipe could could definitely play as a, as a specialist batter. So um, you know, watch that space because you know he's really good too. I'd love to see Felipe get a game sooner rather than later. Uh, Glenn Maxwell is named player of this series, and I reckon just behind him would have been Adam Zampa. Took 10 wickets in three matches. I think it's the first time that an Aussie spinner has taken 10 wickets in a three-match bilateral one-day series. So lots of filters there, but it's a record nonetheless. He bowled so well. He's just getting better and better with every year and every game he plays. Everyone always mentions he's not the biggest spinner of the ball, but I think he's proven that you don't really need to be in limited overs cricket because if you've got those subtle variations, you've got a couple of dismissals on that in that third one day where he's bowling the toppy and it just hit a little bit higher on the bat and presented catches to the fielders. And he's got that wrong in which I actually think spins more than his standard leg break. Uh, he's a master of that now and he's just going from strength to strength. Yeah, it's funny now. I, I always think he's a little underappreciated and he's had his ups and downs in the team as well. But he, he seems really confident in that one day team especially at the moment, kind of funny situation we have now where in both the test and, um, and one day teams, we've got, you know, line in the test and, and Zampa in the, in the one day is really underappreciated spinners. I think, um, you know, I don't, I don't think either kind of get the, the full credit they deserve, but um, yeah, he's been fantastic. He's got a really good awareness, I think, because he's not a huge spinner of the ball. He's really good with his length. Um, something I've noticed in the big bash with him playing at, um, at the MCG with the stars a lot of the time. He, he's quite good at bowling. You know, the, the average punter might think, oh, he's bowling half trackers, but he's actually kind of bowling short enough that guys can't get under him to hit him for sixes, been protecting, um, you know, like a long square boundary. So he, he's got a really good, um, and, and that's bloody hard to do as a leg spinner, yeah. isn't it? So, um, yeah, he, he's, he's just at a really good place with his game at the moment, I reckon. He's going to be so crucial in that 2023 World Cup. He played the first couple of games in the 2019 Cup and then the Australia selectors went for Nathan Lyon. But you'd have to think that both Zampa and Ashton Agar, his T20 spin brother, they're going to feature pretty heavily in that World Cup. Uh, they're the, probably the, the big standout positives for the Aussies in that one-day series. Again, tightly fought and could have gone 3-0 to the Aussies. Uh, I think one area of concern, they might be their death bowling. Uh, I looked at some stats. In the last 10 overs of each game, Australia conceded basically two for 80 each time. Uh, A3 for 85 in game one, two for 82 in game two, and then two for 82 in game three again. It's funny, the T20 team is stacked with top order players. Like Marcus Stoinis is one of the best openers in the BBL, but can't get in there behind Finch and Warner, which is understandable. Everyone 
who bats in the top of the order for the domestic clubs would relish that chance in the national team. But you just can't do it. We sort of lack those guys that come in because they're the best players and for their franchise. They're always going to bat at the top. Same with the, the bowlers, I think. And I reckon Australia's got three awesome new ball bowlers in the one-day team and Cummins, Hazelwood and Stark. Stark and Hazelwood shed the new ball. For most of the series, uh, maybe they need to work on their skills, particularly probably Hazelwood, who hasn't played a lot of white ball cricket in the past. Is that a concern at all? Or is it just do those guys need to get better at their skills or is it uh, a case of looking for someone else who maybe can complement the attack? Yeah, a couple of interesting things to unpack there. I reckon your stats around around two for eighty coming off last ten, it, that can be hard to extrapolate sometimes in terms of is that I mean sometimes teams conceding only eighty runs off the last ten overs that that can be a good thing in, yeah. in high scoring series. I don't think in this series um, that it necessarily was, and even when they're kind of getting three hundred, it was you know the lower order doing it. So yeah, I reckon they probably you know, two for 80 or 80 runs off last 10 that probably wouldn't have been that happy about. So I reckon it's, it's a good stat. I, I kind of, I just think those three Cummins, Stark and Hazelwood are so good that I, I just back them to figure it out um, for, if we're looking towards say the, the T20 World Cup, um, like if you just give those guys a good run at T20 cricket, I just reckon they'll be good enough to figure out you know, how to, how to be better desk bowlers. And we, know, we already know Stark's world-class in that regard, and he's got a real track record. You know, Cummins went for $3 million to the to the IPL, yeah. um, in the IPL recently. And, and if Hazelwood, I mean, I think between the T20 that he played, uh, the third T20 he played on this tour, he hadn't played since the previous T20, like an inter- international T20 since the previous World Cup. 2016. World Cup in 2016, yeah. yeah. And he played a couple of big bash games. And if you give him a good run at T20 cricket and one-day cricket as well, if he can hit the top of off stump as as much as he does in test cricket, you know, he'll be able to hit Yorkers as, as much as you want, I reckon, um, or as much as Australia would want, um, you know, if you give him a good run at the format. So um, I just reckon those three are just generational talents and they'll figure it out. Having said that, you've got some guys waiting in the wings. Andrew Ty, it was interesting to hear Justin Langer um, really talked him up about how good he's looking um, after getting picked for this tour, having not got a state contract with WA. Um, and there's a couple, you know, Richardson and, and Daniel Sams, you know, yeah. could be could be that option. But I just think, you know, those those top three guys are just too good. Jai Richardson, another one, he's out injured, he's got all the slow balls and bowls could pace and can bowl those Yorkers. I guess the other thing we've got to factor in here, not just for the bowls, but for the entire Aussie squad is they hadn't played for like six months. Mm. They'd be pretty rusty. I always think Mitch Stark gets better the more he bowls. I reckon he bowls the better at the end of a series than he does at the start. Uh, his best series, or one of his best series was that 2016 Tour of Sri Lanka where he had a really methodical lead in. He was coming back from injury, he played the tri-series in the Caribbean and he was just hitting his peak as the test series started and he took 25 or 26 wickets in that series, a 10 for. I think he got better. I mean, took two wickets in the first two balls and the balls weren't swinging over there. That one that he got root LBW with was absolute jaffa. It was pretty much the only ball that swung for him. He tried it for the hat-trick ball against Morgan and went down leg. It didn't swing back. So those guys, again, they're probably rusty. They only bowled, what, 42 overs max in that series. So... We can't be too critical of them. Uh, the other thing that was pretty apparent during the one-day series is when Steve Smith's not there, the whole batting order 
sort of looks mm. a little bit funky. Who goes to three? They put Marcus Stornis in there. They had Marnus Labuschagne at four. Could he be popped up at at number three as well? I wonder what they do long term if Smith's unavailable. He didn't play those games after that head knock. Hopefully he's back in there. We don't have to worry about this. But just how important is Smith in that side at number three as kind of that linchpin? And if he's not there, who becomes the number three? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question, just, you know, whether it's Smith or, or, you know, Finch misses games or Warner misses games at some point for whatever reason. When you kind of look at their competition, you look at England and it just seems like one one guy goes down and, you know, someone like Sam Billings comes in who yeah. hit an amazing century in that um, in that second ODI. Um, the second ODI? Yeah, the second one. Um, yeah. And made another 50 last night in the third. Um, and, and they just seem to have batters coming out of their ears. I think... Australia also have you know some pretty good talent on the sidelines. Matty Wade's probably yep. um, a decent example, but um, yeah, I wouldn't worry about it too much. I think you know Stoinis didn't um, you know didn't really take advantage of, of getting a few cracks at that number three spot. You know, just having seen how um, how awesome he was during that big bash. I know it's a different format, but you know I think he can and you know he's kind of done it in in one day cricket before. You know, Felipe is an option. Putting Manus up to number three is, is an option. Um, you know, Kawaja has has success there, so um, I wouldn't be too worried. I, I think the middle order is probably the the bigger issue for um, for the Aussies moving forward. Yeah, it's funny coming out of that series. I feel more settled about it. If you do go with Smith, Fit, Finch, Warner, Smith, Labuschagne, it's that number five spot, and then it goes Carey and Maxwell. At the moment, Mitch Marsh is in there. He did a great job winning Australia some games, particularly that, that first match where he uh, batted with Maxwell and held that innings together. Is he the guy to be the number five for a long time? I mean, he's got all the talent. We know that from Mitch Marsh. He just needs a good run of it, I reckon, and back from the selectors. And he's one of the guys that does bat in the middle order for his BBL franchise or his, or his um, state franchise because – all the other guys are top order stuff. He comes in when the ball's old and he knows how to power the ball when it's uh, when it's closing time. Yeah, he's um he's he's made massive improvements. Um yeah, I think he's he's definitely um a really good option there at five and and potentially can, you know, if if as we we're talking about before, if Maxwell's the kind of guy who goes up the order if if a lot of overs have been faced and there's not much not many left to kind of come in, you know, Marsh could kind of, you know, also finish off an innings pretty well. The thing I'd be interested to um, to speak to, to Mitch about was is about his bowling. I reckon it's just the little snippets I've seen of him in this series have been really good. I reckon in his first kind of iteration as a test cricketer when he was um, – and one-day cricketer, you know, when he, he was struggling with the bat quite a bit, but his bowling was, was so good and probably keeping him in that team at number six for a long time. I think after he had the shoulder surgery, um, you know, he might have – it looked like he might have lost – a. a you know, a tiny bit of pace, completely understandably. Um, but but his bowling and, and it might, maybe has has taken a little while to to get all the way back to to full pace. So it'd be interesting to see if he feels a little more confident with the ball now because um, he's a really good option. Um, you know, with with the ball too. I wonder if he could put his hand up to bowl some of those death overs. He loves doing it with a bat. Maybe he's the finisher on both ends. Well, that's the thing interesting as well about Steinitz, and I know he didn't. He was. It looked like maybe the. Um, the second choice seam bowling all rounder, you know, while they were both in the team in this series, he had a really great run leading into last year's World Cup bowling at the death. 
um, and was just about their you know first or second option there for a while. Um, so uh, yeah, it's interesting to kind of see where where that all sits. Um, you almost wish you could kind of combine them a little bit because Langer has said that he prefers he likes to see Stoinis up the order. Um, but yeah, his his bowling you know death bowling is is a massive feature as well. So um, yeah, interesting to see how they juggle you know those two moving forward. Where do we see this one day team, Lou? Because in the past couple of years, they've gone to India and beat India 3 2 in a five game series, overcoming a big deficit and another record run chase over there. They go pretty well in the World Cup, knocked out in the semi finals to eventual champions. And that's probably one thing we should mention that there was no Ben Stokes in this series. So mm. playing a slightly under strength uh, England side, but they lose to the eventual champions there. Then they come back two years after getting drubbed 5 0 everyone's available this time and they win 2-1 and yeah, maybe should have won 3-0 if they held their nerve in that second game. Where do we say them? Are the, the rankings have them right up the top there? I mean, England's still the number one, but in terms of the one days, Australia are fourth at the moment, are they the fourth best one day side in the world behind England, India and New Zealand and, and how are they tracking? It's still so far away, but that mm. 2023 World Cup in India. So they were the Aussies were fifth going into the series, weren't they? So have they jumped someone after after that win? They're on a hundred and nine points now, one point a clear of South Africa in fifth place. Yeah, right. So it's an interesting one for me. England number one, still, you know, even though Australia beat them, I think England have proven over time they're the best team in the world. And then daylight, um, you know, maybe <laughs> yeah. maybe that the, Australia's closed the gap a little bit. Um, and then I think India, New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, you know, assuming that they can kind of put all their off-field issues to one side, yeah. I think they're in that, you know, you throw a blanket over those four teams. Um, and then maybe the you know, Pakistan won the Champions Trophy a couple of years ago. So, mm. um, you know, on their day, any team. It, it's so hard to, to get a good read on it um, in these bilateral series. Yeah. We've seen a lot of footy without crowds Lou and we watched the first half of the England summer without crowds what did you make of the Aussies playing England which would normally have a very strong a very parochial crowd <laughs> there in England supporting uh, their side it wasn't there Dave Warner said he loved it because he uh, didn't have all these fans abusing him for the first time in forever uh, what did you make of watching cricket without crowds yeah, it would have been interesting to hear what Steve Smith would have thought. I know he didn't play, but um, he played in the T20s. But yeah, I mean, he he said that the, he liked the the crowd abuse last year. Yeah. It made him focus more. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, cricket's a funnier one because I think a lot of these guys are used to playing for their domestic. You know, you go play in the Sheffield Shield and at an empty MCG, and there's 200 people there. You know, they're they're pretty used to to playing in that environment. I don't know if it would change. I mean, in the footy codes, you know, just you know. Um, watching the, the teams kick for goal, it seems like they're a lot more confident. Um, I don't know what the equivalent of that in, in cricket is. What's like the the kind of, you know, set piece kind of skill that, you know, that like, you know, is bowling a Yorker um, mm. easier because you have, you know, less less crowd pressure? Like a catch, you know, if you're on the boundary? Yeah, a high ball maybe. It'd be interesting yeah. to see the stats around more like high balls where there's, you know, um, you know, a simple high ball. Um yeah, it's such a, it's a hard one to measure in cricket. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, we did brush over Dave Warner and he got 36 runs in the series. Another tough tool for him, uh, just Jofra Archer. Some of the balls that dismissed Warner though, I mean, 
I think if you're uh, if you're out of form, you cop them. And even if you're in good form, you just walk up and say too good. Yeah, hundred percent. You just got to take the rough with the smooth. There's an opening batter sometimes, and um, it was interesting to see Jofra Archer mostly starting, um, and I think Wokes as well starting over the wicket to him. They had so much success bowling around the wicket to him in the Ashes last year, but um, I don't know if they've. Yeah, like that just seemed really weird to me. I remember that first game watching. I'm thinking, why is Archer coming over the wicket? Um, you know, to him, just having had so much success, but you know, it worked. It worked for him this series. But you know, in terms of concerns over Warner, like he's he's such a good one day um, and T Twenty player that um, yeah, I, I got no no worries about him going into the um, you know going looking towards that next World Cup. Absolutely not. Well, that's the one day series wrapped up. But before then, was the T Twenty series. And Lou, Australia should have won that one too. They. Choked in the first game. It must be said they had that game in the bag and then another batting collapse. Uh, lost the second game to lose the series and they held on to win the third game. Some call it a consolation win, but when the number one ranking is on the line against England, no less, there are certainly no dead rubbers. What were your takeaways from that T20 series? Yeah, it was an interesting series, Sam. It was kind of hard to, to get a read on it. I mean, that first game, you know, losing by two runs, um, you know, do you call that a choke and, and how much do you read into it? It's a hard one, um, a more comprehensive defeat in the second one. And then people would be saying it's it's kind of a dead rubber for the last one. But I mean, the the number one world ranking was on the line and, um and even though the Aussies made a few changes to the team, I reckon that you know they still probably didn't treat it any differently. It's a hard one considering Australia looked rusty, um, and I think you know Pat Cummins hinted at it during that, um, you know, during that series that you know they really don't want to use it as an excuse, which is completely understandable. But um, it, it did look like it took them a little bit of time to kind of to get into it. I wouldn't read too much into into them losing the series or. or um, then potentially having lost something in that T20 format that they're still ranked number one in. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I thought it was just ridiculous how Morgan put Australia's favourites leading into that series. England had played all that cricket. They're playing at home. Australia had played for six months and I think it might have just been a, a tactic from Morgan to give the uh, the tourists the favouritism tag. But you're right though, that that first game, first time in ages, Warner and Finch got off to an absolute flyer and at one for 124, Jason, 163, you think it's game over. But I reckon that's where time away from the game really shows when you've got to start in the middle. When you start against a new ball, you kind of set, you're ready, you, know, you, you know your role. But when you're starting against spin or starting against scoreboard pressure, that can only be replicated with games. And I think that showed. And there were a couple of collapses I wonder how they get over that, Lou. Is that a – I guess it's all mental because you can't really practice that in the nets, can you? No, you can't. I mean, it's it probably magnified a few of their issues that they have already acknowledged that, you know, are issues with the middle order and, um, you know, these guys that they they keep picking um, who are awesome top order big bash players and all of a sudden, you know, Warner and Finch are being displaced at the top of the order. You know, there's no argument about that. Smith. Um, for all the, um, you know, there's been some talk over the last few years that he might not be the same T20 player as he is in Test. I, I reckon that's a rubbish, yeah. as, as we were kind of talking about before with 
um, you know, giving Hazelwood and Stark and those guys a good run at one day cricket. You know, he gives Smith a good run at T20 cricket. He's as good as anyone in the world. Um, so they're, they're your top three. And then it's, it's just it's, it's harder to find those middle order guys. Uh, and I think Australia really need to, um, you know, that's, that's the key area for them, you know, going, going towards that next World Cup, the, the T20 World Cup next year. Yeah, it's tough. They had Stoyer stand there in the, in the lower order in that first game. Uh, he got 23 from 18 balls and couldn't get Australia across the line. But then Mitch Marsh comes in for that third game and we asked him, you know, do you want to be the finisher? And he said he, he relishes that role and does it for WA and for the Scorchers. So He also said you were looking for a headline, Sam, I reckon, didn't he? He knew what I was after. <laughs> and he gave us one. Thanks, Mitch. Yes, it was uh, – anyway, I think that's the role for him in that T20 side. Interestingly, and we did ask him about this as well, that Stoinis, Norm Marsh, bowled in that T20 series. They just went with the, the five frontline bowlers, which they which Justin Langer is very keen on in his T20 sides. And they've got Stark, Cummins, Agar, Zambra, and then Kane Richardson. Uh, Glenn Maxwell bowled a couple of overs here and there, but the median pace of, of Stoinis and Marsh wasn't called upon. I found that a little bit peculiar. Yeah, maybe a little. I think maybe if you're playing T20s back in Australia on, you know, really good, true Gabba, SEG, you know, Adelaide Oval kind of wickets, then those guys come back into the game. But um, And the wickets they were playing on were, were a little bit used after a long summer of playing at the same two venues with England. Um, but, you know, that might be what they're looking at for that T20 World Cup in India next year. I think, you know, Indian wickets... Um, are probably a little different in terms of I don't think they're as up and down as um, some of the ones we saw in the one day series but you know they will turn um, and so Australia probably do need to be thinking about how they get at least eight overs of, of spin maybe more um, out of their bowling attack. Yeah absolutely and I guess the uh, other thing we shouldn't look past is just how good England is in particular Joss Butler at the top of the T20 order is there a more damaging opener in the 20-over game at the moment? No, he's unreal. He, he's just so good to watch. Um, yeah, I, I don't think there's there's a better batter in T20 cricket, world cricket. It's interesting hearing um, a few people say that he's England's greatest ever white ball cricketer, which yeah. at first I was like, oh, really? Like, But, you know, when, you know, all due respect to England, it, 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 you know, before... Um, this amazing team, their one-day cricket, um, you know, wasn't anything to write home about. So maybe, maybe it's true. Australia are still number one in the format. Let's look at the rankings there, Lou. And England come in second place. India, Pakistan in fourth, South Africa, and then New Zealand. I reckon that's fair. I think Australia have had such a good run lately. And one thing we probably should have mentioned was that Australia actually beat England's unbeaten run of 13 bilateral one-day series wins and they hadn't been beaten on home soil since 2015, which was by Australia after the Ashes then. So it's a pretty big effort to go over there and win that one-day series and almost come away with that T20 series as well. With the World Cup being pushed back, it's going to be in Australia in 2021. It's going to be in India in 2022 and then um, and then back in Australia the following year. Does that... Uh, does that help or hinder Australia's cause? Because I felt like they were priming to be right for that home World Cup, but now they've got to wait a little bit longer. Will that be advantageous or will they maybe have missed their mark a little bit? Uh, yeah, it's interesting whether Australia... So we've got the 2021 World Cup in India 
next year and then 2022 right. in, yeah. a, in Australia. Yeah, I'm yeah. not sure. It's, it's bloody confusing. Yeah. <laughs> and then <laughs> India in 2023 for 50 over World Cup. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, so three World Cups in three years, India, Australia, India. Yeah. Um, uh, look, I don't think it changes too much in terms of they've just got to reset a little bit, maybe looking at more spin um, and guys who are um, potentially better at playing spin through the middle order. That's That's probably more the priorities now. Um, in terms of not having it in Australia, I mean, in 2022, maybe, you know, guys like, um, you know, Maxwell and, and Smith will have figured out their T20 games more so than, you know, they might be even better T20 players than they are now. So, um, so it's hard to say. Yeah, absolutely. Hindsight will be the judge of that. But it's, I think it's also good that this unit will have another year to play together that hopefully they stick with those five bowls. I really like seeing Zebra and Agar bowl together. I like seeing Cain Richardson or one of the Richardsons or one of those sort of specialist T20 bowls in there because it's such an important role, particularly in the depth of T20. We were talking about 80 runs in the last 10 overs in a one day. If you're taking eight and over in the last five overs of a T20, you're stoked, right? So uh, I guess it's all relative, but we'll have to wait and see for that one. Now, before we move off international cricket, the Australian women's team are back in action from Saturday, September 26th for the first of three T20s against New Zealand at Allen Border Field. For all you need to know about the series, you can head to cricket.com.au and you can listen to our brand new podcast, The Scoop, hosted by our very own M. Colin and Laura Jolly. The Scoop is a weekly podcast dedicated to the women's game in Australia. Starting next week, wherever you get your podcasts, here's a little teaser of what you can expect. Sit back and enjoy the stroke play of Meg Lanning. This is excellent batting by Ash Gardner. Jonathan strikes again. She's on a hat-trick. She comes at Molyneux. Catch is taken by Perry. The Australian women's cricket team win their fifth T20 World Cup title in front of a magical crowd at the MCG. Hello there. For the first time ever, welcome to The Scoop. Now, don't get too excited. This isn't the real deal just yet. We've just got a little teaser to give you guys some background on what we're doing, as well as a reminder to subscribe so you'll be the first to know when our first episode drops, which should be in about a week. So what is The Scoop? The Scoop is a cricket podcast dedicated to talking all things about the elite women's game in Australia. My name is Laura Jolly. I'm Emily Collin. We are part of the cricket.com.au digital content team. We're the lucky ones who get to dedicate most of our time to the girls, closely following the movements of the Aussie women's team, as well as the two elite domestic competitions, the WBBL and the WNCL. Laura, or LJ as she's known to most around the traps, is the women's cricket editor for cricket.com.au. And M is the social media producer for a women's elite cricket. Each week, we'll start off the show discussing what's gone down in the world of women's cricket. You'll be very hard-pressed to find anyone more across the detail of what's going on in the game than LJ. So prepare for some wonderful insights there. And each week, we'll be persuading some of the superstars of the game to come on the show and join us for a chat. Now, we're launching with a real bang next week, aren't we, LJ? Yep, we've lined up the great Meg Lanning for a chat. Meg's currently doing her two weeks of hotel quarantine in Brisbane ahead of the limited overs series against New Zealand. So no doubt she'll have plenty of good stories to share from her time in ISO with her teammates. So we'll leave it there for today and save most of the good stuff for next week. But in the meantime, make sure you subscribe to The Scoop wherever you get your podcasts and we will chat to you all very soon.
Lou, we're going to finish off the show with some more white ball cricket and the Indian Premier League. You used to play cricket at a pretty good level. You disappointed you didn't get an IPL contract along the way? I should have put my name in the auction. I always love looking at the players <laughs> who don't get picked up in the auction. I remember like there was a few years ago, there was some Brisbane grade cricketer who just, you know, somehow figured out how to, how to get his name in the hat. So, I mean, you never know, like maybe, you know, um, they might have thought they were picking former New South Wales bowler Mark Cameron and, and my name <laughs> accidentally gets picked up. And um, yeah, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't go for anything less than probably 200K Australian. Um, so that, that might be a bit of a hindrance. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, let's go into uh, looking at this tournament. But before we have a look at uh, the players we're excited to see play, who we think might win the whole comp, Let's hear from Ricky Ponting, who is the Delhi Capitals coach and obviously former Australia captain. And here he is talking about a few of the big dog Australian players who are going to feature in the IPL. Well, I'm in Dubai here now and getting ready and prepared for another IPL tournament. And I thought it'd be really worthwhile just to, to let you all know some of the Australians that are actually taking part in the IPL this year. Um, there are a lot of Australian names, a lot of our bigger name players are actually taking part in the IPL, which I think is absolutely outstanding. And when I, when I say some of our bigger names, it's hard not to mention guys like David Warner, who will be captain of, the, of Sunrisers Hyderabad again by the sounds of things. He had, you know, his last couple of seasons with Sunrisers have been absolutely outstanding. Um, I think he captained them to their, their first title a couple of years ago as well. And he'll open the batting with Johnny Bairstow from England, who will, will, they'll be one of the more dangerous opening combinations in, in the IPL this year. So, you know, Davey's form, recent form has been outstanding. You know, since he's come back from his ban, he's, he's not hardly... Made a made a mistake and hardly played a bad game, so you can you can guarantee that back in the IPL, sort of the stage that he likes, he'll have a, a huge impact on the way that the the um, Sunrisers season shapes up. Aaron Finch has moved um moved franchises again this year. He's he's uh, with RCB and with Simon Kadic there. It, sounds, it looks like that they'll use him as an opening batsman. They they've obviously got a very strong middle order with with Coley and and De Villiers in their in their middle order. They've been looking for someone another overseas to come and maybe open the batting and with what, probably one of their local guys. So, look, Finchie's, as I said, I think is, you know, he's the number three ranked uh, T20 batsman in the world at the moment. He's obviously done a great job for Australia for a long time and I think he'll add a lot to that RCB lineup at the top of the order. You know, he's a very good player of spin, particularly once he gets in and gets set. Um, he can be very damaging against spin, so I'll be looking for him to get them off to a really good start in the power play. Um, Steve Smith at the Rajasthan Royals. Um, they've got a, an amazing lineup of overseas players, actually, Rajasthan. Um, Smith, uh, Joffre Archer, Joss Butler, and Ben Stokes. I didn't stay, can't leave him out. So he's one of the great players in the world at the moment. So look, Smith, he's probably going to be batting at three or four in that lineup. Um, he's been at Rajasthan for a long time. He's one of their favourite sons. I'm pretty sure he'll be captain of that side as well this season. So, you know, you always know what you're going to get with, with Smith. He's a consistent run scorer. Um, and I think he's really developed his 220 game over the last couple of years. Then you've got Glenn Maxwell at Kings 11 again. So he's moved around the tournament a little bit as well. But back at Kings 11, where he's played a lot of his cricket, he captained there a couple of seasons ago. Um, and the interesting thing about uh, Glenn Maxwell, I think he's only got three or four IPL half centuries, but they've all been here in the UAE, interestingly enough. I don't think he's ever got one in India. So I, I'm pretty sure he'll be aware of that. Um, He'll get some confidence for that, and he's going to be one, no doubt, one of the Kings 11s and one of the IPL's um, star players for this tournament. That was Panta Lou. It's hard to go past that assessment. Uh, who are you excited to see play in this very lucrative, very action-packed T20 tournament? I don't know if I can offer anything more. I mean, you just had the godfather of, of cricket 
Yeah, it's a tough Talk act about to follow. The How am I going to follow that? Well, just don't say what he said. Pick someone else. <laughs> All right, I'll do my best. I'll tell you what, I'm looking forward to watching the Chennai Super Kings play. Yeah. Um, talk about Dad's Army. They've got, uh, with, with all due respect, because there's some fantastic players in there. Who was talking a, about Dad's Army? No one was talking about Dad's Army. I think I, I've, I'm now talking about it. Okay. Um, with, you know, they, they made the final last year, so they're no, they're no mugs, but, and it's mostly the, a lot of the same players. But um, MS Doney and Shane Watson are 39 years old each. Yep. Imran Tahir is 41. Dwayne Bravo is 36. And Buddy Rayudu is 34. Um, that's, that's awesome. Yep. I just want to see these guys play. Like, how are they going to um, all get around the field? Like, how's, how's that going to work? Um, it'll be interesting. Like Sam Curran, he's 22. He looks about, he looks a bit older now, but when he first <laughs> came onto the scene, he, he looked about 15. So, I mean, he, he could be one of these guys' kids. Yeah. Did you mention Faf? Faf, yeah. How old's Faf? He'd be mid thirties. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't quite, you know, a bit of respect to Faf, but um, yeah. So I'm really looking forward to seeing them play. Um, I'm also really looking forward to seeing Pat Cummins play with a, you know, $3 million price tag with KKR. Like that's, that's extraordinary. Um, and, you know, it could be the making of him in T20 cricket, um, especially going, as we've talked about, going towards that T20 World Cup um, next year in India. I know this tournament's in Dubai, but, you know, playing on similar pitches, you know, that could be, um, you know, really the making of him. Um, Rajasthan Royals, you look at their four internationals, potentially, yeah. um, the four that they field, Joffre Archer, Joss Butler, Ben Stokes, um, if he's you know available, and Steve Smith, if, if he recovers from his um, his head knock, um, that's a pretty fascinating four players to, to see in the same team. Yep, they are some big names. I can't wait to see Kajiso Rabada back in action. He's one of my favourite fast bowls in the world, and I just can't wait to see what Ricky Ponning does with him. He's a uh, the master coach. I wonder what he can get out of Rabada. He's a little bit fiery, hostile at times. Sometimes crosses that line but he's got a fantastic record in the Indian Premier League and I think it's going to be great for Delhi and a compatriot of Rabada's is the evergreen AB de Villiers we saw a little bit of him in the big bash league last summer for the Brisbane Heat still one of the great T20 batters in the world and that RCB lineup when you've got Aaron Finch Virat Kohli and AB de Villiers probably three of your top four there it's extraordinary. I still can't believe they haven't won an IPL title. When they had Chris Scale there at the same time, they had Shane Watson there at another point. Uh, they like a little bit of depth, I reckon, but I can't wait to see Coley and De Villiers bat together again. It's going to be really exciting. What about your tip to win it all, Lou? Yeah, so just on, on RCB, you, they normally have one game where they go absolutely off those yeah. two. So you well, it's normally at, normally at Chinnaswamy, which is a road mm. and it's small and but it'd be interesting to see how they go in the UAE. Yeah, no, 100%. And, you know, it's interesting, you know, this kind of leads into my tip. I kind of think batting, um, you know, you'd expect me to say this, but batting is important, but I think bowling in <laughs> T20 cricket, like I think there's just a lot of great top order batters in this tournament. Like every team has some really outstanding top order batters and sure, Coley's, you know, might be the best of them, but you can kind of, you might be able to make up what you know seventy or eighty percent of Coley's output with with a lot of these other guys. What what I think a lot of the time these things come down to is death bowling, and um, that's how Mumbai won it last year with Malinga do, delivering a really clutch final over. 
Um, you know, they've got Jasper Boomer again this year, um, Trent Bolt, who's, who's fantastic. I, I reckon that is really important. And, you know, I reckon they'd be, um, if I was, had to tip anyone, you know, them doing it, you know, two two in a row, um, I wouldn't be surprised just with the quality of their, their death bowling. Rajasthan as well, though. I mean, if, um, you know, any team with Archer, Butler, Stoke Smith, um, got to be in with a shot. But, yeah, so I, my pick would be one of those two. But, you know, you throw a blanket over over all eight teams, really. Oh, yeah, I think anyone can win it. Well, I've, I've gone with, I've got three teams down here, but again, I could have probably picked a few. I was just looking at the uh, Sunrisers team and that looks really good too. They've got a great bowling attack with Bhuvaneshwar Kumar, Rashid Khan and Mahabha Nabi. They're going to be tough to get away. Mm. Uh, but I actually like the Capitals. I'm not just saying this because of our friend Ricky Ponting, but you look at their top order, and they've got Shikhar Dhawan, Prithvi Shaw, Shreyas Iyer and Rishabh Pant. No internationals there and they're all gun Indian players. I think it just sets off a great start to their innings. And then you've got guys like Alex Carey, Rabada, Lamashane, Ishan Shaman and Ravi Ashwin. I think he might have a bit of a point to prove. So I really like Delhi. I think they're a very well-rounded side. But I also like CSK because they just know how to win. There are so many winners on that team. They've got the band back together. Uh, they've won it in the past couple of years. And like you said, even though they might be a dad's army, they've got truckloads of experience. And I think that's one thing that you can't replicate. Everyone can be in form and bowling 150 kilometers per hour, but you can't replicate experience. And in those clutch moments, I reckon that team, if it gets tight, they're going to come out on top more often than not. But Hyderabad can be a great team. I'd love to see ACB do pretty well and yeah uh, Kings 11 I think might well who knows Glenn Maxwell as Ricky just pointed out that his best performances in the IPL was when were when it was staged in the UAE so look out for that he got MVP that year and yeah the other the third team I had written down was the Royals and for those exact reasons that you mentioned if you've got Butler Smith Stokes and Archer firing you might not need the other seven guys. So it's uh, it's going to be exciting to watch. And you can catch all the scores on cricket.com.au and the CL Live app. And I believe it's also going to be broadcast on Fox Sports and KO Sports in Australia. So you shouldn't miss any of the IPL action. Yeah, and it's a good point about Delhi. And uh, I mean, while, you know, Rajasthan's, you know, four guys and, you know, the internationals are going to win your games, but it probably does actually mean more game to game having a solid group of, you know, Indian local players. And I, I think that, you know, that's, you know, probably the most important thing. And then your, your internationals for all the you know, attention and, you know, the money and, and stuff they receive, I think um, they're the icing on the cake rather than the, rather than the filling, Sam. That's right. And, you know, if it's your birthday over there, you get a cake in the face. Oh, yeah, yeah. That well, never I, looks like much fun. No, I don't know. Are the candles yeah. a light when they do that? Uh, be, I don't think, like, I don't think they put the candles in their face. Like, I think they... Yeah, yeah, blow them out the candles yeah and it's cake in the face yeah that's fair enough well Lou thanks for coming back mate uh, fantastic effort in your first episode of the series I look forward to speaking to you again soon maybe next week who knows yeah who knows yeah. you know I, yeah, I, I presume know. you're I'll, the owner of this podcast you, you decide don't you yeah I'll let you know I'll say who knows I know yeah. but I'll, uh, I'll be waiting by my phone as per usual fantastic That's it for today's episode. We're going to be back next week with Lou or without Lou. Who knows? Tune in to find out. But until then, for your cricket news, scores and video highlights, head to cricket.com.au. 
and the C8 Live app.